Welcome to the Anderson Tours Holy Land Scripture Series, Understanding God, Scriptures, and Self. I am your host, Dr. Clark Anderson, and will be your guide through the Scriptures today. At Anderson Tours, we always advocate that there is a power of place when you visit sacred sites, and how once you visit, you'll never read the Scriptures the same again. Whenever possible, you should really try to schedule a visit to the Holy Land and other scriptural locations. It will change your life. If for whatever reason you are unable to go visit in person, then this scriptural series and our virtual tour is the next best thing, as we try to bring a portion of the Holy Land to you. On our website is a variety of ways you can experience the Holy Land, including downloads of today's podcast, visuals, 360 videos, quotes, and other valuable resources. Check it out on AndersonTours.com. Today's episode is part of a four-part scripture series. It starts at the very beginning and extends all the way through the prophecies of the last days. Today you will hear one of 14 episodes in part one, which is our foundation series. Enjoy, and we hope you brought your alacrity. Welcome to this episode of The Promised Land. A couple of principles that should stand out today is the Lord makes and keeps his covenants to his people. The other one is no matter how ridiculous the instructions from the Lord and his prophet, we should really obey. A few of the questions that we'll answer today. Where and how did the children of Israel enter the promised land? Number two, what is the symbolism of Joshua bringing the children of Israel into the promised land instead of Moses? Number three, why was Ahab spared when they conquered Jericho? Number four, why was Naaman reluctant to follow the prophet Elisha's counsel to bathe in the Jordan seven times? And how many tribes of Israel were there? Twelve or thirteen? Let's get started. So Moses is the leader that gives them the law and is a leader for the ages. But Joshua's the one that gets to bring him into the promised land. The name Joshua means the Lord saves or the Lord gives the victory. Interestingly enough, Joshua, the Hebrew name in Greek, is Jesus. So Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yahshua or Joshua. The name fits. The Lord saves, the Lord gives the victory. We're going to see how in the life of Joshua that that literally is the case. There's rich symbolism for Joshua being the one that brings them into the promised land. Some people have compared the Exodus story with the plan of salvation. Egypt would be the pre-mortal existence. As they leave Egypt with Moses, they are born And when they cross through the Red Sea, it is symbolic of baptism, all of them going under the water. When they go to Mount Sinai, they receive the commandments. The wandering the 40 years is representative of one's life. And then as they cross through the Vale of Death, as they cross the Jordan River, the Jordan River symbolizing death, it's Joshua, Yeshua, or Jesus, is the one that brings them into the promised land, the promised land representing eternal life. So that symbolism works very well with Joshua bringing them into the promised land. Let's 
kind of interesting when Joshua takes over for Moses. The people tell Joshua, don't worry, Joshua, we'll be obedient to you like we were to Moses. Now that's a little bit funny because they, they seem to have a lot to complain about. But Joshua takes over and to take and conquer the promised land that was promised to them as part of the Abrahamic covenant, there are two impossible tasks that they have to complete. One is crossing the River Jordan. And number two is conquering the land from the enemies, conquering the city of Jericho and all the other cities. The city of Jericho was a walled city, a fortress that looked unconquerable, and they were also outnumbered. Oftentimes, the things that the Lord asks us to do seem impossible to us in our minds and the way that we view life. But he has promises that he keeps, impossible promises. It's fascinating to look at the instructions that the Lord gave to them on both of these tasks. When they get to the River Jordan, he instructs the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant and to go stand in the River Jordan. If you look at that at face value, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Go and stand in the River Jordan. When they're asked to conquer Jericho, the instruction is, walk around the city one time a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, take seven priests, walk around the city seven times, blow your trumpets, and the walls will come tumbling down. Go stand in the River Jordan, and it'll part, Walk around the city seven times, blow your trumpets, and the walls will come down. Both required unusual faith. And oftentimes, the things that the prophets ask us to do require faith. Faith to do simple things that bring great rewards. Now consider the symbolism of this experience when they crossed the River Jordan. This is Joshua 3, starting in verse 14. It came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they that bear the Ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of the harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon an heap very far from the city, Adam, and is beside Zaratan, And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. So where this happened is also rather fascinating. Verse 17, And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. I always like to ask, what's the more significant miracle? Parting the water or walking through on dry ground? There's also a very powerful lesson that we can take from this story. Oftentimes, God waits for us to act. He gives us instruction and then waits until we get our feet wet. Elder Bednar taught it this way. Taking action is the exercise of faith. The children of Israel are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They come to the River Jordan. The promise is they will cross over on dry land. When does the water part? When their feet are wet. They walk into the river. Act. Power follows. The water parts. We oftentimes believe, 
I'm going to have this perfect understanding and then I'm going to transform that into what I do. I would suggest that we have enough to get started. We have a sense of the right direction. Faith is a principle, the principle of action and of power. True faith is focused in and on the Lord Jesus Christ and always leads to action." Close quote. Faith is the first and main principle not only in the gospel of Jesus Christ but also in God's plan for his children. It requires action without having perfect knowledge. It requires taking a step into the dark, taking a step into the river, having faith that when you do what God asks you to do that the waters will part. Where this event takes place is very fascinating. They crossed right by the city of Jericho, which is just north of the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is a huge rift valley, and it is the lowest point on the face of the earth. It's about 12 or 1300 feet below sea level. There are some very beautiful parts of the River Jordan this particular stretch of the Jordan River is not all that attractive. In the Holy Land today, this part of the River Jordan is decorated with churches. It has significance to the Jewish people because this is the place where Joshua and the children of Israel crossed into the Promised Land. It's called Bethabara, or the House of Crossing. And everyone knows that that particular area of the Jordan River is where the children of Israel crossed into the Promised Land and conquered Jericho. It's very sacred for them. It is also the same place where John the Baptist was baptizing. In part two of our scripture series, when we go through the life and ministry of Christ, we'll talk in more detail about that. But if you have the visuals and can see these pictures of the River Jordan, you'll see that it's kind of brown and murky. It reminds me of the story in 2 Kings, where Naaman, who was a captain of the host of the king of Syria, and was a great and honorable man, got leprosy. And the prophet Elisha hears about it and calls for him. And Naaman, this is 2 Kings 5, starting in verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Does this instruction make sense? Notice Naaman's reaction in verse 11, but Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farfar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. This Jordan River, look at those visuals, look at that picture. It is not an inviting body of water. The rivers in Damascus are much more clean. And to dip seven times wouldn't once be enough, maybe three. Verse 14, his servant talked him into it. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. 
Such a powerful story of simple obedience and how oftentimes God gives us instruction that doesn't really make sense. President Harold B. Lee said, You may not like what comes from the authority of the church. It may conflict with your political views. It may contradict your social views. It may interfere with some of your social life. Your safety and ours depends upon whether or not we follow. Let's keep our eye on the president of the church. Our current prophet and leader is begging for us to learn how to hear the whisperings of the Spirit, to hear what God is telling us to do, to increase our capacity for spiritual revelation and inspiration. He asks us to write down spiritual promptings, to read the scriptures regularly. These are simple things, and they pay off big time if we exercise that faith to do it. That quote came from one of my favorite landmark talks on the topic of following the prophet. It's 14 Fundamentals in Following a Prophet, given by President Ezra Taft Benson. Those that download the material will have that available to you. Everyone should be familiar with those principles. I feel like the closer we get to the second coming, the more imperative it'll be to follow what the living prophets are telling us to do. This is where a lot of people get hung up and a lot of people actually lose their faith and lose their way because they're not willing to follow what the living prophet says. Well, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. This great story of them conquering the city is in Joshua chapter 6. The instructions to conquer Jericho is all wrapped up in the number seven. Seven priests bearing the seven trumpets on the seventh day go around the city seven times, blow their trumpets, and the walls come down. The number seven in Hebrew is significant. The Hebrew word is sheva. It means whole, complete, perfection. It also means to swear an oath. As was the case with Moses, his desire was to have a holy people and to make a covenant with them. God works through covenants. He made a covenant with Abraham, and part of that covenant was to give them the land of Canaan. It's called the promised land because God promised it to Abraham and his posterity. The story of Joshua, as they conquer the very first city in the promised land, shows God keeping his part of the covenant, standing by his prophet, and swearing an oath with these people with the number seven. This concept will be very powerful when we are looking at Isaiah's prophecies about our day and the last days and how God will keep those promises that he made to his prophets. The instruction was to destroy everything and everyone in the city, except for Ahab. When Joshua sent spies into Jericho, the harlot Ahab took them in and protected them. And because of that act, Ahab was spared when they took the city. A fascinating part of that story is Rahab is mother to Boaz. Boaz marries Ruth, and through Boaz and Ruth and that lineage comes the lineage of Christ. Christ comes through the lineage of a harlot. I think there's a powerful message there. The Hebrew word Rahab, Rahab is Rahab, which means broad, wide, expansive, a spacious, roomy. So one question we could ask is, is the atonement broad enough? 
Is it spacious enough? Is it roomy enough to save even a harlot? I would say unequivocally, yes. As the children of Israel conquer the land, the Lord literally fought for Israel and teaches them important lessons along the way with Achan and his obedience. In Joshua chapter 10, verse 1, is the first official specific reference to Jerusalem in the Bible. During one of their battles, the sun stands still. He rains stones from the heavens to kill the enemy. And there is an entire list of kings that were taken over in this whole land. A couple of nice summary verses are Joshua chapter 11, verse 23. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes, and the land rested from war. In chapter 21, verses 43 to 45, The Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about, according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. And the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. I think it is very important to learn and to know and to understand that God keeps his promises to his people. We will see, and it is promised, that he will also do that in the last days. It's important to get to know the God of the past, to understand the God of the present, and also the God of the future. We often talk about the 12 tribes of Israel making up the house of Israel. But a careful look at the scriptures, and you find that there are actually 13 tribes. So why then do we call them the 12 tribes of Israel? I think a lot of it has to do with the land inheritances that they divvied up when they got into the promised land. 12 of the 13 tribes received land inheritances in the promised land. The tribe of Levi did not get a land inheritance. Joshua chapter 13, verse 33 says, But unto the tribe of Levi, Moses gave not any inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said unto them. Chapter 14, verse 4, For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Therefore they gave no part unto the Levites in the land. The Levites worked in the temple. That was their inheritance, to be the temple workers. The other 12 tribes received a land inheritance in the promised land. To close out this episode, let's just savor some of Joshua's counsel to his people. One thing he tells them early on is to be strong and have good courage. When I entered the mission field, our mission theme was this verse. And in Dutch, it's Houd Hurumut. So that has personal meaning to me, but be strong and have good courage. Houd Hurumut. The book of Joshua ends with him giving instruction to his people. He reiterates that, chapter 23, verse 6, Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the scriptures. Joshua 1, verse 8, he tells them to meditate 
on the law, on the scriptures, day and night, and observe to do what's written therein. And notice the blessing. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. I don't know of any other thing that will be more meaningful to you to meditate and to ponder than the truths in the scriptures. They will make your way prosperous. It will give you good success. On this subject, President Benson said, Studying and searching the scriptures is not a burden laid upon saints by the Lord, but a marvelous blessing and opportunity. The Lord was not promising Joshua material wealth and fame, but that his life would prosper in righteousness, and that he would have success in that which matters most in life, namely, the quest to find true joy. I love the discussion we're going to have in part two of our series in the life and ministry of Christ about how you receive true joy. In the downloadable material, there is fantastic cluster of scriptures that will highlight the blessings of scripture study in your life. Once they're now established in the promised land, Joshua gives them this great counsel. And just to remind us, why did Abraham leave his house? Because of idolatry. Why did the children of Israel have to wander for 40 years? It was because of the golden calf incident. So why is this commandment of having no other gods before him first? Idolatry, having other gods before God, is one of the great tests of the ages. So Joshua, when he gets to the promised land, says, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a great declaration of personal faith and use of agency that no matter what others around us are going to do, and we'll see that the children of Israel are very tempted by the religious beliefs of those around them. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We get to choose who and what we will worship. Verse 31 says, And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. There are many different storylines in the book of Joshua, but some of the main ones are, Joshua's name means the Lord saves, the Lord gives the victory. God literally fights the battles for the children of Israel and gives them the promised land that he promised to give his covenant people. I testify that God keeps his promises that he keeps the covenants that he makes with us. And as we covenant with him, he will keep the promise to each one of us individually and collectively as a people. And remember, no matter how ridiculous the instructions seem to be, no matter how simple, they will pay off. And I leave that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We now have the children of Israel established in the promised land They're going to go through a period of judges, and they're going to get some kings. And it's going to be fascinating to see what happens to this covenant people of Israel. Next time, we will explore the three kings. If you would like the transcript, quotes, references, 360 visual footage, downloadable documents, and extra visuals relating to this podcast, go to our website at andersontours.com. While there, you can also register for one of our exciting educational tours, including tours of the Holy Land. 
or take our brand new and unique virtual tour of the Holy Land. There is a great big world of scriptural discovery waiting for you out there, and it's all on AndersonTours.com.